kind of learner are you? What kind of follow through and support might you need? That can help guide you in terms of what you choose. I know there are a lot of people who are super self-directed. They just don't want to talk to anyone. They want to put on their headphones, get in the gym, just bang out their sets. They want to be in their own, their own world. They don't need any kind of accountability. That's just how they are. And they find that particular styles of lifting programs work really well for them. They don't need to ask a coach anything. They're very confident on their own. Maybe they're a bit more experienced. This is Strength in the Details a podcast that goes beyond the classic debate on reps, sets, and exercise programming and focuses on aligning what matters most in your training, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, founder of Optimize Strength. I'm a PhD with a focus in the exercise and health sciences, a coach, and weightlifting athlete. With more than a decade of professional experience in sport and fitness, I truly believe that the impact of mental skills, motivation, and self-efficacy are often overlooked and underappreciated in exercise behavior change, sport performance preparation, and everyday coaching practices. You deserve to feel strong in the gym and beyond. And on this podcast, we dive in to the mental aspects of exercise, training, and sport performance. So join me as I invite industry experts, elite athletes, and coaches and researchers to a conversation about the gritty details. Steph Godreau is a sports nutritionist and lifting coach who helps athletic women fuel themselves better, get stronger, and perform better in the gym. Her best-selling book, The Core Four, details a four-pillar approach to getting stronger, embracing your body, and owning your power. Steph has become a dear colleague in the fitness industry space, and if you follow her work on social media, You'll find that Steph produces content that is authentic and focuses on challenging the stereotypical narrative that strength training is for a specific type of person. She makes strength training and nutrition habit change accessible for athletic women of all ages. Steph is absolutely no stranger to the Strength in the Details podcast. Be sure to check out my first episode with her, episode 22, Fueling for Performance. It was a great discussion on the nutritional aspects of strength training. In this episode, we sit down and talk about strength training and performance and how it changes and adapts across the lifespan. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Strength in the Details. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm really excited to have you back on the show. You're no stranger um, to Strength in the Details podcast. It's been a little bit over a year since I think the last time we chatted about all things strength and nutrition. So really excited to have you back on and, and thank you so much for your time. Of course, it's a huge honor. And anytime I can sit down and talk about how we get stronger, it's <laughs> kind of my love language. So I'm glad to be back. Awesome. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about you and who you are and in your background in strength training and nutrition. Yeah. So I'm a sports nutritionist and a strength coach, and I've been strength training on you know, myself since 2010. So I first kind of walked into a gym then and eventually, long story short, ended up changing my career from high school science educator to what I do now. And I help people through a variety of means to really mesh the two worlds of how to lift weights and get stronger, particularly focusing on women over 40, but then also the fueling element and kind of performance nutrition element that goes along with that. So that's kind of what I do on a a day-to-day basis is talk about all things strength training, muscle, how we eat to support those goals and, um, you know, that's kind of what I do every day on the internet, which is a fun job to have. That's awesome. Um, we are trying to normalize women having muscle um, because it's so important. And I think, you know, we'll get into this, but I think the narrative has kind of shifted finally about, you know, the idea and the port- the importance of muscle. But let's start with the basics. Mm-hmm. I believe that strength training has finally, is it's getting its just due um, as not only an important component of health and fitness, but as a critical component of health and fitness. Um, from your perspective, why is strength training important for the athlete across the lifespan? 
Yeah, this is a great question. And when we look at, you know, if we're talking about athletic folks, we're looking at things like not only sports performance, but longevity of tissues, longevity in the sport itself. How do we mitigate injury risk? We make these people more durable. Then resistance training to some degree is going to have to play a part in that, ideally. And I think there's now more of a shift to embracing this idea. It's sort of was back in the day, people would say, and I came from an endurance background. I used to run half marathons and marathons. I used to do endurance distance mountain biking and triathlons. And I was not strength training throughout any of that, except right at the end. And it was kind of unusual to see cyclists at that point, strength training, maybe unless you were a track cyclist and you were trying to get jacked quads and you were kind of in that strength almost element of cycling, but I was in the endurance aspect of cycling, which everybody at the time was like, just be light, just be small. Don't put on too much muscle, you know, stay, stay tiny so you can push yourself, uh, pedal yourself uphill really fast. And so I think it was less common to see, especially in the more recreational side of things, people being encouraged to lift weights along with, or to resistance train along with their main sport. And then how do we combine those two things potentially across a, a, a year to look at that periodization, maybe when it's a competitive season or an off season, but I'm starting to see things changing now. So I'm seeing way more runners embracing resistance training, you know, all sorts of different sports. As we keep an eye to, I think, longevity as well, not just in the sport, but as we're aging. And I mentioned earlier, I tend to work with people over 40. So there are a lot of people who are realizing now, hey, I want to continue running or whatever your sport is that you really love. I want to continue doing that for as long as I can. And gosh, <laughs> I'm starting to see some declines in in some of these areas. Maybe I'm losing power. Maybe I'm losing strength. Maybe I'm losing some of my speed. Maybe I'm noticing mm -hmm. I'm more prone to, to injury and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So turning an eye toward resistance training and how it can be a useful adjunct to whatever your main sport is to not only just kind of maintain, but help you improve in that main sport. Yeah. yeah. I, and I appreciate that perspective uh, because I too see and speak with folks who are maybe transitioning out of a, a competitive sport atmosphere or structured sport atmosphere where maybe they have a, a structured program set up for them. And they're wondering, you know, how do I maintain that across, you know, now, you know, maybe starting a family, starting a career, you know, you know, living life in, in, in our circumstances and our seasons change. And so I think it's important to understand that and, and one of the things that I really admire about the content that you put out is that strength training is for everyone at any point in life and across the lifespan, regardless of whether you are a competitive elite level athlete or whether you're, you know, doing the job of, you know, a, a corporate executive or a stay at home mom, like it's important in all of those realms. What are you noticing about the way strength or resistance training is being promoted to women? Mm. Yeah, I think, oh, this is such a good question. <laughs> Let me organize my thoughts briefly here. I think we're seeing less of the tiny pink dumbbells are the only thing women should be lifting. I am definitely seeing more women in the strength sections of the gym, for example, this past summer, our jujitsu academy, which is normally where I lift by myself, uh, we had our, uh, some construction happening. And so I went to the local 24 hour fitness, which I hadn't been to one in over a decade. And when I mm -hmm. walked in, I was pleasantly surprised at how many women were occupying the platforms, the free weight area. I mean, it was awesome to see that instead of only women on the cardio equipment, which is kind of, I think what we would see 10, 20, 30 years ago, those sorts of things. And I think there's more of an emphasis now on how do we lift appropriately, how to get enough stimulus and those sorts of things. It's definitely creeping in to more to the mainstream. And I think that that's awesome because when I started lifting in 2010, it was people kind of thought we were freaks. 
we weren't bodybuilders. And so people were like, well, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're kind of Olympic lifting and power lifting together and those sorts of things and pill pulling elements of, of those different types of training. I think the one thing I see a lot of confusion about, and perhaps we're going to talk about this today, is that not all training that involves resistance. So for example, dumbbells, kettlebells, free weights, or even machines to some degree, not all lifting that incorporates that is designed to help you work on strength itself. And so I think there's a lot of confusion around these topics where a lot of people think, well, I am training with weights, but maybe I'm doing more circuit type training or hit type training that involves dumbbells or a barbell or something of that nature. But the intended stimulus of that workout might be metabolic conditioning, or it mm -hmm. might be to get more of that muscular endurance effect. Not that those things are bad or wrong, but when we do have that aspect of, especially as we're aging, wanting to preserve our uh, ability to produce force, to move quickly, those sorts of things, work our type two fibers, we have to include some degree of those heavier loads, fewer repetitions with more rest in between. And that's where I think mm -hmm. some of the confusion is coming in, insofar as anytime you lift a weight, it's not automatically designed to work max force production. And I'm not right. sure how, how we communicate that to the wider world where there are a lot of women who are stoked that now they're just picking up some kind of weights, which is great. But then how do we move people further on through the continuum that says this workout that you're doing for with intervals, even though you're lifting a weight may not have the same effect, especially if you're not a novice anymore, right? We have those right. novice gains. We might see strength coming up concurrently, um, but there might be a, a, a cap on what you can develop in terms of max, max force production if you're doing those sorts of workouts. So I think that's sort of what I'm seeing is a more refined discussion of what are the different forms of resistance training and what are mm -hmm. the benefits of those, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, too, if we're looking at women over 40, or we're, we're just kind of considering all humans after around the age of 30 or may start to see a decline in, in muscle mass. How do we then build muscle mass? What are the rep and, and set ranges and relative loads? What's the ballpark that's going to help us to develop some hypertrophy, right? Mm -hmm. Some, some muscle gain. So I think, and I'm, I'm hoping we're going to start seeing a more finessed conversation about different types of resistance training on how you can develop kind of a nice Swiss army knife of different protocols or just understanding how to use these different types of training in your overall um, training plan to experience the benefits of all of those. Yeah. Well said. And I, and I, what it made me think about was, you know, why, why is it really challenging to, find the most appropriate combination, right? Because there are times where I'll grab some dumbbells, I'm short on time, and I will put together a little circuit because, hey, today is about moving my body. But when you talk about hypertrophy and resistance training and some of the benefits that we're looking for, it does require a very intentional focus on not only just grabbing, you know, some, some resistance or, you know, body weight or whatever, but there is a focus on, you know, how many reps, how many sets, how much rest, how much fuel we'll need to support that. Um, and, and some of the things that come to mind that I'd love to hear your perspective on is I think that we have to address safety. You know, if, if you're more of a novice exerciser, what are some of the safety things that we should be looking at? And then confidence to do, you know, these heavier loads. Um, Self-efficacy is another thing that comes into to mind. but but how would you how would you help someone one understand you know some of the safety aspects and then others how would you help them build confidence behind you know this this heavy this idea of heavier lifting? Yeah, 
I love this question. And I also come from a USA weightlifting background. And I think that's one of the the biggest things that I've ever taken away from my time as a USA weightlifting certified coach and coaching Olympic weightlifters in the gym and working with my mentor coach was, you know, how do we mitigate the risk of injury and how do we keep an eye on safety as something that's really important. And you know, I think when we pull back and look at the bigger picture, if somebody's pretty new to the idea of strength training and they have the means and resources, my first recommendation is always going to be that they work with someone in person, even if it's a short amount of time or it's a few sessions, just to gain some situational awareness of the gym itself, the layout of the land, what's the different equipment, and all the things that, frankly, those of us with experience take for granted. For example, how do you safely load and unload a barbell. The number of times Mm -hmm. I've seen a barbell go flying off the rack because it was unloaded one side at a time. And and these are kind of the unspoken things that we we don't always learn. You know, how do you how do you properly lap a set of dumbbells if you're going to do some dumbbell bench presses? I mean, these are really tiny things that we just kind of take for granted that people know or don't know. But I think if you can, you have the means working with somebody in person is going to take you a long way into looking at some basic assessments of your movement, seeing where you might need to bring some things up in terms of your capacity, um, starting out with a training plan that's realistic and not going to smack you over the head with volume. And I see this a lot with newer people. They are tending to be sometimes a little bit more shy of picking up heavier, heavier weights and heavy is relative, but what they sometimes will do is logically, it makes sense. I think, okay, I should just do body weight or really tiny weights for a lot of reps. And then they end up with doms. And then they say, this is so painful. Why would anybody do this? And I'm not doing this again. So, um, you know, working with somebody in person, I think even if it's for a short amount of time can give you the lay of the land of the equipment, give you some general pointers, have somebody looking at your form and technique and spotting any places where it might be appropriate for you to do some modifications to a particular exercise. And, you know, you as being, a, again, a, a USA weightlifting coach and, you know, you'll you'll understand that. And then for anybody who's listening, who has that experience, you know, we don't always just start somebody with a snatch. We want to see, can they actually hold the weight over their head? Can they get into a full squat? And if they can't, then we're going to, you know, modify the movements to build them up to having that mobility, that stability, that strength in order to support a barbell overhead, because that's a pretty technical uh, and taxing movement. So I think that that's an important part. And that helps to also under, underscore the safety element. Um, you know, I think there's also a little bit of misunderstanding about, for example, what can cause, you know, in my audience in particular, we hear a lot of people talking about, you know, my joints get really irritated. We know that estrogen and the shifting of estrogen can contribute to things like joint irritation, inflammation, um, slower repair of tissues, tissue stiffness, and those sorts of things. And so when we're, we're thinking about that, It's like, if we're going to do a million repetitions of something, even if it's light, that could contribute to, you know, the increase in volume, making our joints feel a little bit more sensitive or irritated. So sometimes it's just not even an understanding how we would approach training. And maybe it is finding that moderate weight, um, but something that feels challenging for the last couple of reps. I know that a lot of people are really keen on perfect technique, but I mean... I've seen people do all sorts of squats based on their anatomy and and what their um, flexibility and mobility will allow where it might not look like a textbook picture, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. The person is squatting in a way that's mitigating risk and is safe to the point that we can make it safe for them. Um, and so I think sometimes we get a little bit too focused on what is perfect technique, knowing that somebody who's newer is going to have an immature squat. And again, is a back squat with a barbell appropriate for somebody when they're first coming in? It might not be. It might be a goblet squat or a front squat or something of that nature, even a body weight squat for a little while, but then, you know, we'll build up over time. So there's obviously a lot there. And I think that again, if somebody can work with a coach or at least have some guidance or a trainer or something, they're probably going to have the smoothest entry point. Um, 
-hmm. And, and also, you know, the big picture, not when my lifters come in and are doing my templated program, we're not starting out with heavy triples, especially in those main lifts. We're starting out building capacity first. And yes, we want to get people to the point of lifting challenging loads and those strength ranges and those sorts of things, but we have to earn the right to do that. And we have to build up that tissue integrity. We have to build up the, the mobility, the stability. Um, everybody talks about plyometrics and why plyometrics are awesome for people over 40 and women in menopause. And I'm like, yeah. And if you haven't been very active, and even if you have been active, you haven't been loading your tissues, learning how to decelerate safely. You haven't been working on landing mechanics, going out and trying to do just some max height box jumps or box jump repeats might be more than your tissues can handle first and foremost. So we're going to start off by building the capacity to land properly, absorb force, build uh, elasticity and stiffness in the tissues that we need. And then eventually you'll get to the point potentially of box jumping, but we're not going to start everybody there. So I think, you know, when we deliver that message to the general public, yes, you know, I'm trying to think about what do we want as the components of that program to include that would make a well-rounded program for somebody that's going to work with me, but we're not going to necessarily start everybody there and how we build up and we progress over time is incredibly important. So yes, we're talking about lifting heavy, but that might not be where you start and it's all relative. So you might be squatting 200 pounds and for you, that's a, I don't know, an RPE seven. And for somebody else, (laughs) that would be RPE 10 plus, you know, they're not even going to be able to squat that yet. So yeah, um, that is where programs that work off of a subjective scale or reps and reserve RPE, something of that nature, or just having somebody watching you and saying, you know what? I don't know, form's really breaking down on that. Like, let's take the weight down and focus on moving well uh, first. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, definitely lots of lots to consider. And I definitely think that people should have that in the back of their brain. You know, this is the new year. Everyone is really excited to get started on their journey, get started um, with strength training. And, you know, I was, I visited a, a, a box gym recently when I was visiting family. And I noticed that people, you know, more women, athletic women were in the weight section and it made my heart smile. Um, not everyone has great quality form. Um, but I, I think there's something to be said for getting started, um, for, for, for starting. That's the, that's the first step. And I think so many people are afraid of starting for fear of failure that may not even come, you know, in the beginning. So what do you say to people who have accepted that? Yes, strength training is great for me. I know that it's beneficial, but I just don't know where to get started um, from a, from a kind of a, a jumping into a new program standpoint. So if they're a bit nervous and they don't know where to jump in, in terms of a program, I think it's worth doing some self-reflection and thinking about what kind of person you tend to be. Are you somebody who can follow a, an app or a program or something of that nature, and you've got the rest of your schedule down and you know where you can fit it in? Or are you somebody who knows yourself well enough to know that in the past you've tried other things like you know, some $7 a month app and it, it's kind of sat on your phone without a lot of love. You know, it hasn't been used very much because you keep kind of getting stuck on the same things, right? So maybe um, life gets lifey, maybe you got sick or something happened or you just got really busy and you weren't sure how to make that fit into your life. And, or maybe it was something along the lines of, some all or nothing thinking getting in the way, you know, thinking, oh, I wanted to do seven days a week and I missed a day. I'm going to have to go all the way back to the beginning, those sorts of things. So I think when you're, when you're starting out and you're thinking about what kind of learner are you, what kind of follow through and support might you need, that can help guide you in terms of what you choose. I know there are a lot of people who are super self-directed 
they just don't want to talk to anyone. They want to put on their headphones, get in the gym, just bang out their sets. They want to be in their own, their own world. They don't need any kind of accountability. That's just how they are. And they find that particular styles of lifting programs work really well for them. They don't need to ask a coach anything. They're very confident on their own. Maybe they're a bit more experienced versus someone who mm-hmm. is newer. And some of the, yes, of course, there can be questions about how do you execute the exercises? Do you need any substitutions? What does a superset mean? You know, certain (laughs) things in the program itself. But beyond that, it's in those softer skills. It is in how do I overcome obstacles? What happens if something goes wrong with my training? How do I work around the challenges that I know have come up for me in the past? And what kind Mm -hmm. of supports do I need? We know that social support is so important in behavior change and Mm -hmm. environments and and so on and so forth. So that can be, I think, where um, finding a program at a local strength and conditioning facility that will meet your needs of, hey, I love that community interaction and knowing that Anaja is there and she's waiting for me is just, I'm going to go, I'm going to show up because yeah. I like her and I, I feel like I've got some connection and community. So if that matters to you, cool. If you really want to work with a coach online and have somebody there, because you know that sometimes you get in your own head about things and you get a little bit dichotomous with your thinking, or sometimes you get into that fixed mindset mode and you know, ah, oh, you know, I just, I know that I need to focus on growth and approaching things differently. I'll give you an example. One of my clients, I was so, I was watching her, her notes and reading through her notes in her app. And she was talking about how, you know, she had a family visit to Alaska over the holidays and she works as a nanny and she was, her schedule for her nannying went really kind of wonky on her. And Mm -hmm. I was so proud of the fact that she could kind of resume when, when she did what she could when she was away and life got lifey. And then she just resumed with her training. And I, I thought, wow, that's amazing. What, what allowed you to do that? And she said, you know, I've learned a lot from the past that if I let all of the imperfections get to me, then I either get so stressed out that I get, get little benefit from my training because I am so stressed. I feel terrible or right. I've overdone it in the past and I haven't learned how to incorporate things like auto-regulation. I've just tried to push mm-hmm. through because it was on the plan. So she really learned that um, taking that advice from her her coaches and putting that into practice in the past helped her in the present. So I really think it depends on the kind of person you are and how you tend to operate. And if you know that you've tried to do fitness before, tried to do a strength plan before, joined the gym before, and it hasn't worked out, ask yourself what is what there is to learn from that about yourself, not in a judgy way, but sort of a, where are my opportunities for growth and what kind of supports do I probably need to be successful? There is no one right way to do it. And I think that that's where mm-hmm. if, if we could help folks find their option, for example, I refer out a ton to a friend of mine who does Zoom, one-on-one Zoom-based virtual strength training. Where she will meet with a person one on one over Zoom and they do the workout basically together. Right. That's great. That's not something I offer. So I always think about if I know somebody is looking for that, I've got somebody I can refer to. And and I think the more we can do that and help guide people toward what they're needing the most, that's gonna help them be more successful. I love that. Referrals, like my network think thankful to social media for this element of my <laughs> business. Um, not all elements, but this element. I feel like I have so many connections through social media. And similarly, I'm not afraid to refer someone to, to, to a professional that is qualified and able to support what they need. I'm not for everyone. My services are not for everyone. Uh, my personality is not for everyone. And and I think that you have to realize that as a coach and as a consumer, as an athletic person looking for help and coaching, that just because they are a coach, it may not be the coach for you. And I think that that's also important uh, from a referral standpoint. Um, there's so many there's so many ways that we can strength train. And I don't know, I can't, I'm not going to speak for you, but 
there's something about having a barbell in my hands that just really transcends, you know, a lot of things for me. It it really elevates my mood, my my spirit. Um, I, I say that it's my spirit animal. I love barbell work, but it can seem intimidating. Could you talk about maybe your transition into barbell sport, Olympic weightlifting, and then maybe recommendations for athletes who maybe they didn't embrace barbell or barbell sports as a younger person? What can they do to get involved in the sport um, across you know the lifespan? Mm-hmm. Are we speaking about specifically Olympic lifting or powerlifting or just using yeah. a barbell? Yeah, Olympic lifting. General, uh, probably Olympic lifting. Yeah. <laughs> so I first um, started learning how to lift free weights in 2010. As I mentioned, I joined across the gym, and prior to that, was doing my endurance sport stuff. Ironically, now I do both. I I do some you know, cardio and endurance, not true, like long endurance stuff, but I also lift weights. So I've had this really weird full circle thing that's happened with me where now I started running again last year and I'm really enjoying it. So long story short, I joined the CrossFit gym and I learned how to lift free weights. I had dabbled here and there in all sorts of stuff. And when I say all sorts of stuff, I mean, I used to, in my living room, do Denise Austin workouts. I would do the firm, which was like the weighted stick I have done. All sorts of group X classes. I mean, you name it. I've done I've done everything, but I had never properly learned how to lift barbells. And having a smaller environment like a CrossFit class really did help me. I mean, I went through the on-ramp program and I, I learned the basics and I was lucky insofar as our class sizes were pretty small and you are um, shout out to, to Rick Santa Maria at CrossFit Chula Vista because they are great there at teaching people and, you know, really making sure that people don't fall through the cracks. And I had a really great experience there learning how to barbell lift. And that was a whole new world because if you stick with it long enough, you know, you get past the beginner weirdness of learning anything new (laughs) and, you know, fairly soon you start to notice that you get those that like lovely novice gains phase where you're increasing your weights fairly often and hitting PRs like every week. And there's just something about the barbell that's really powerful because it allows you to, to some degree, lift a little bit heavier than you could with just dumbbells alone. I mean, I've tried to get 70 pound dumbbells up to my shoulders and do like dumbbell squats and it's pretty awkward. So, you know, to some degree using a barbell for certain lifts can help you to lift a bit heavier. And there was just something about that, that like poked apart my brain. That was like, Ooh, this is awesome because I finally feel strong. I finally feel like I'm getting stronger. And I previously to that in my life, even as an athletic person who had been in sports since the age of seven, I never felt strong. I never thought I could do push-ups and pull-ups and I just never thought I could climb a rope. I mean, are you kidding me? I just was like, this is never going to happen. So that really poked that part of my brain that said, ah, if you can do this, what else, (laughs) what else is, is on the table for you? So yeah. I think that that's, um, that's where that started. And then as I got more familiar with CrossFit and started learning the Olympic lifts, and I was um, lucky to have some great teachers there as well, I eventually left you know, training specifically for competitive CrossFit. At the time, I moved overseas, and I was with my fiance, now husband, living in Scotland and launching my fledgling business <laughs> in 2013. <laughs> and the competitive level of training for the competitive CrossFit that I was doing, along with the stress of starting a new business and living in a new country, I looked at my husband and I said, I think this will kill me. I don't know if that I can recover from this. So I started only lifting squat, bench, deadlift, press, just kind of defaulting to more of a basic barbell lift program. And then when we got back to the States the next year, I connected with my old Oli coach who I had met through CrossFit and he had his own gym at the time. And so I went and started lifting the Olympic lifts. And that's really how I got more experience with basically doing snatch, clean and jerk, and then the accessory lifts that go with that. So I spent um, a few years, you know, um, competing. I spent some time coaching there as well. And it was great. Um, 
I think, you know, from the perspective of somebody who's coming in and they haven't learned how to barbell lift yet, and maybe they're intimidated. I mean, I think when we see in the general sense of things, you know, maybe you're watching YouTube and you're watching clips of the Olympics and you see these people lifting just ridiculously heavy amounts of weight and they're doing it fast and everybody from teeny tiny humans to very big humans and the barbells are massive and they're, you know, straining to stand up and then it's so exciting and thrilling to watch. But for a lot of people, they think, am I going to have to do that when I go? Yeah, I can't. Right. They don't always see the grandmas who are doing it. They don't see the young kids who are doing it and and understand that it's a it's a journey. Not, you know, not everybody's going to get to that level. But I think, again, if you can have some coaching or instruction, um, there are some things with more technical lifting, like Olympic lifting and, and the like that the more you, you can focus in on these technique pieces, because if we put a, you know, a 30 kg bar on the ground and said, Hey, can you just get this to your shoulders? A lot of people would be able to kind of muscle it up to their shoulders. Yeah. If they had some basic strength training, but to do it well, and is the pursuit of Olympic lifting. It is literally trying to perfect, I guess we could put, call it two lifts, snatch, uh, snatch and clean and jerk. So you're trying to perfect these two things mm-hmm. and the, the technique and when it's done well, it's possible to do it not well, yes. <laughs> you're only going to be yes. able to get so far. So I think when you're, you're considering if you do want to learn the Olympic lifts and you have some desire to just do it for training for, for sport carryover. Um, you know, do I think everybody, for example, who's a, I'll, I'll use jujitsu as an example, cause I'm in that world too, but does everybody who's a jujitsu athlete need to do snatches from the ground? Probably not. Could a lot of people stand to do some variation of a power clean for power development? Probably. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we help people apply that in a way that makes sense for sport? But if you're looking to really get deep into the world of Olympic lifting, um, you may be able to take it some distance on your own, but you're going to get to a point where you really need that coach's eye. And, um, it also just takes a lot of time and practice. <laughs> so yes. if you're doing it once every couple of weeks, it's probably not going to be enough. If you want that to be your main pursuit, you want to become an Olympic lifter and, and do it recreationally or competitively at some level, you're going to need to kind of center most of your training on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, your conditioning or whatnot can be on the side, but it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of technique work because, You've got to move the bar in a very specific way and adding the speed to it <laughs> is yeah. a whole other element to deal with. It's interesting. I, I caught myself scrolling back on my own timeline from when I first started Olympic weightlifting and had the audacity to post those videos. <laughs> um, it was really quite interesting to go back to see where I started and you know where I am almost eight years later um, of of being in the sport, both as an athlete and a coach, and still in in athletes, especially beginners. Right, this is a journey, and everybody's journey is going to be different, and everyone is going to respond differently to different programming. Um, but if you fall in love with the process of learning the Olympic lifts, they can be so rewarding. I mean, there's something to be said about having a heavy barbell above your head at the end of a, a snatch or a clean and jerk. Um, it, 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 as, as a, as a woman, as an athlete, it has made me feel so powerful in so many different ways. And I think that's the part that is so thrilling and so rewarding. Cause at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like you said, you're, you're essentially perfecting two lifts and you're spending hours training these two lifts <laughs> and and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And so th- there has to be some other part of that that you find joy and, and reward from. So, yeah, 100%. I'd love to talk a little bit about something that is new to me, but that I see you promote a lot on your social media. I want to talk about rucking. What is it? 
what are the benefits of it? And maybe how, how does that complement a strength routine, um, if at all? Yeah, great question. So the original, uh, well, let's, let's put it this way. Humans have been carrying things since we first probably walked up, right? Um, but the more modern sense or the mo- more modern term of rucking comes from the military, which is carrying a rucksack full of all of your equipment that you need. And the more recreational kind of sport aspect aspect of uh, rucking now is is based on that, which is carrying heavy load over distance. And I like to bring that up because I'm a huge fan of load carries in training, but there's a difference mm-hmm. between say taking a heavy farmer carry down the gym and back or something like that versus putting a weighted backpack or a weight vest on and walking for a few miles or more. Mm-hmm. So it's a different kind of carrying. It's not necessarily going to, again, help you build max strength, but there is right. some some incredible benefit to it. I think one of the biggest ones, and I just wrote about this today, you know, we have this kind of clash sometimes it seems like between, and we've talked about this um, kind of off air, right? We have our minimum exercise guidelines. So we've got our strength training minimums. We've got our cardiovascular minimums, and that's going to be 150 minutes of moderate intensity cardio or 75 minutes of vigorous cardio or combination of the both of those as the minimum that we want to shoot Mm -hmm. for. We also have a lot of people who are like 10,000 steps a day, 10,000 steps a day, get your steps in, get your steps in. And frankly, I've seen people on the internet telling women that they need to be doing 15 to 20 K steps a day. And I, while I think that's shoot for the moon, if you, if you have that time freedom and you just love it, but that's not going to be practical for most people I know. So I think there's a big clash going on right now between what do I prioritize? Do I prioritize my step count, which we know for a lot of people ends up being uh, inclusive of meat as well, or do Mm -hmm. I prioritize cardio? And I think that rucking presents an interesting opportunity to work on your step count. And Mm -hmm. when you carry weight, you make it a little bit easier to get into those moderate intensity heart rate zones like zone two that can have a lot of benefit in terms of capillary density, mitochondrial function, so on and so forth that really give us that aerobic base. So in, in other words, I think one of the unique benefits of something like a load carry, like rocking or wearing a weight vest is that you can go out and get your steps. And we know that there's so much mental health benefit to that too. I love a walk and, you know, just getting outdoors, but it also kind of kills two birds with one stone because you're carrying more weight. That's going to drive your heart rate up higher than if you were just walking the same course without that weight. And yes, you can, you know, walk on a treadmill or only walk up hills and get that grade. That's going to get your heart rate up a little bit. But not everybody has that around. Um, I live in San Diego. It's pretty darn flat here. Um, And, you know, you could walk real fast, but not everybody has the capacity to do that pace. That's really going to help you walk quickly and get your heart rate up. So we do have that unique cardio benefit because we're just having to schlep more more weight across distance. Um, Potentially, there could be some bone density benefit as well. Um, You know, you're loading the, the axial skeleton. So that's interesting. And I would love to see more research on this. I know that there's a little bit of research about loaded carrying for women in uh, postmenopause and potential Mm -hmm. benefits for things like bone density. So that's cool. Definitely Mm -hmm. a social element to it as well, if you desired. So, you know, I used to be a cyclist, as I mentioned, and I would go on group rides and (laughs) I would be riding with these like six foot three guys who are just these tanks (laughs) and I'm five foot three. I would get shot off the back of the pace line and have to try to catch up. And there would be nothing social about that kind of thing. So rucking is cool because we could each be wearing a weight that's challenging for us, but we're still walking mm-hmm. along at the same pace. So that's, that's a cool one as well. And then just in terms of building postural strength, um, mm-hmm. those, those muscles that can kind of counteract a little bit of that forward posture that we get just by living our modern lives. Um, so, you know, when you're rucking, you have to kind of maintain that upright posture, um, so that can be a nice benefit as well to strengthen those muscles, a little bit more of a muscular endurance effect. Um, sometimes people will say, hey, you know, rucking can help make you stronger. And I always 
remind them that's not the same as doing your heavy back squats or your heavy deadlifts. So don't forget to do your heavy squats and your heavy deadlifts, but it can help in terms of muscular endurance to build that strength over time and potentially for things like a particular career that you may do. So if you're someone who wears a weight vest for your career, or you have to carry a a pack for your career, training with a ruck can help. Um, For example, one of my uh, students is in the wildlife or environmental uh, ecology field. And so she quite oftentimes has to hike out into the Sierra here in California to test things like water levels. And so she's hiking (laughs) with a pack all the time. So Somebody like that training with a ruck from from time to time, especially in your off season, can help you build up that strength for having to carry load that goes along with your job. Right. So I think there's a lot of interesting benefits, um, and it's it's fun. It's fun to get out there and and challenge yourself in that way. Yeah, we love a good outdoor adventure. Um, and I think yeah. that's what originally caught my attention. I'm like, Hmm, I could be outdoors. I could, you know, carry this weighted vest and it doesn't have to be high, um, high impact to be effective, meaning like right. jumping and plyometrics are great and we love them, but that may not be accessible to everyone. And I mm-hmm. think that this is a nice way to, you know, get that cardiovascular and metabolic conditioning benefit with a low impact option that allows you to get outside. And I think that's a great compliment for strength training in general, uh, for athletes as a cross training mechanism, you know, like mm-hmm. not every day has to be a squat, a bench, a deadlift and a, a press, you know, some days need to be those cross training activities. And I think that's, that might be a a great, um, addition to that. And so I'll make sure that I include some information in the show notes for that, for people that might be interested in pursuing that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would, I would echo what you said there about the, the impact it being lower impact than running. Um, it's not a no impact activity, but also I, I know folks and I come again from the cycling world who would do, you know, no impact activity whatsoever. And if it is accessible to you, that's important, right? It's important to do weight bearing exercise and also to have some degree of impact in your training to help your bones stay strong. So um, avoiding impact altogether, especially if there's no contraindications for that, you might not be a runner or you might not want to run and think this is torture and I'm not into it, but (laughs) you know, getting something like a rock or a a weight vest on can help you get some impact training uh, without it being overly impactful on your joints. One thing that I've noticed in our conversation as we're talking about strength training and, and resistance training and exercise in general is that the word weight loss has not come up. Um, (laughs) And, and I am so very thankful (laughs) for that um, because I do think that for a long time and and probably to some degree now um exercise is so closely associated with weight loss you know i exercise to lose weight and i think for women folks and and women athletes that's lar- largely been what's taught to us you exercise to either lose or maintain a particular type of weight can you share your like top 3 reasons outside of weight loss that people should exercise and more specifically strength train. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, I would say, and again, this is kind of tailored to more or less who I work with, but we know now that the menopause transition itself. So the perimenopausal years where there's an up and down in hormones, and then we get to that 12 months without the menstrual period. And then your postmenopausal for the rest of your life. We know that, of course, when we're 30, you know, around our 30 year mark, the declines in things like muscle mass and bone density can begin. But there are some acceleration points in which there's rapid change. And one of those periods of rapid change is around that actual point of menopause happening and then living your life as postmenopausal. So I think, you know, in terms of offsetting some of the muscle loss that could occur if we do nothing and or slowing down the rate of muscle loss, will we be able to maintain the muscle mass we had when we were 20, when we're in our 80s? 
without any pharmaceutical intervention? <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> but we can mitigate it to a large degree. So I would say that's number one. Why is that important? Because when we look at the association of, for example, muscle mass and longevity, we see a lot of positive associations with increased longevity. So for example, can you get up and down off the floor? We know that's the sit to stand, sit to stand test. And so muscle mass and strength is very much related to that. Um, and again, these are associations. I just want to be clear, you know, there's a difference between correlation and causation or association and direct cause. But we know that if people can get up and down off the floor, they tend to have better overall mobility and be able to participate in activities of daily life better. Um, when we're looking at our metabolic health and even things like blood sugar management, you know, we know that once we're in our later years, as we're aging, and particularly we're going through the menopause transition, we may have an increased risk of things like insulin resistance and cardiovascular disease. Um, again, especially in women, that can be a, an interesting change in the risk factors, you know, tipping not in our favor. So mm -hmm. some of those things re regarding exercise in general, but then of course, strength training, we know also has some really interesting metabolic effects. We used to think cardiovascular exercise is the only thing that would help us, for example, with our mitochondrial density. There's some newer research that calls that into question and looks at the role of strength training potentially in helping with our metabolic markers, um, our, our ability to um, get those mitochondria um, upregulated and, and so on and so forth. So I think when we're looking at those health factors and we're looking at lifestyle stuff, you know, longevity, independence, decreasing the risk of fall. You know, we know that the risk of fracture is incredibly high in women because of the, in, the increased likelihood that we may develop things like osteopenia or osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. When combined with fall, you know, of course you can break a bone without falling or you can have a fracture without falling, but fall is incredibly, uh, fall risk is incredibly high, especially as we're aging. And so can we strengthen our muscles so we reduce the risk of fall and potentially reduce, reduce the risk of fracture? So I think when we're looking at longevity, that's really important and that's an important piece. And then also I'll touch on, and I know this is probably near and dear to your heart, but is um, how resistance training may help us with things like mild depression, anxiety, there's a mood and kind of um, mindset element to that, self-efficacy. Um, and I know <laughs> you can probably do your, you've probably done your very in-depth podcast on that since it's your area of expertise. But I think a lot of people take that for granted or they don't highlight mm -hmm. that enough is exercises role in general, but also strength, strength training in particular for helping with things like mood, cognitive benefits, and, and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, if we expand out besides just, again, that narrow focus on weight loss and body size management and whatever we want to call it, I think we're missing the forest for the trees. And I know that, you know, marketers, are always like, what is the pain point I can solve for people? And what is the pain point that my audience is looking at? And this is a common one, but at the same time, can we help people to understand and embrace the changes and the positive benefits outside of just weight loss? Because yeah. I think that if we can also help people to connect it to how does building physical strength how does that bleed out into the rest of my life? You know, yeah. do I want to be able to get up and down off the floor and play with the, the kids or the grandkids? Do I want to, do I want to go hike? I had a client who was like, I want to go hike Mount Fuji. Great. Like awesome bucket list item. Like how are we going to help you build the strength for that? Um, so, you know, it, when you, you feel stronger and you can get out of bed every day and maybe your body isn't hurting quite as much, and you're able to just be present for the people that you love and feel like you're having a more, you know, just a more present life experience. I, how do we, you know, when we shrink it down to just being about weight loss, we completely miss that conversation. So yeah. I, I, I appreciate very much your focus, not on that as well. And sometimes I feel like I'm alone in the wilderness 
where I'm sort of like, we also have all this other stuff over here. Do you want this stuff too? This is great. Yeah. You know, I, I, Um, I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly (laughs) agree. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that stuff. I, I appreciate you as as always in, in everything that you're doing to communicate and fight the good fight. You're not in the wilderness alone. Although sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you like yell out and you just hear echoes and you're like, oh, okay, I wonder if anyone hears me. And I think I've changed my perspective. And I'm like, if one person can hear me, like if I, if I can just reach one person, I feel like maybe that's the the, the mentality that I have to take um, with this, because I feel like we are fighting what society is telling us as as women, as athletes, why we should exercise, you know, to shrink our bodies, to shrink up, to shrink the amount of space that we take. And weight loss is not a, a bad thing. Like it is not if, if weight loss is what you need and if weight loss is what you desire and if weight loss is going to make you feel more vibrant and healthy and thrive, like let's do it. I'm all for it. But it's not the only, it's not the only thing and it's not the only benefit. And I, I think that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. Here on Strength in the Details, we, we're all about going beyond the reps and sets and providing content and resources about things that people need to know. So before I let you go, what is your strength in the detail that you'd like to share for listeners? Oh, gosh. You know, I think the biggest thing that I have seen be impactful for the most folks is being able to delineate different sort of different timelines for why they're doing strength training. So for example, maybe you have a near-term goal, something that you want to work on. I don't know, hitting a particular back squat number or getting an unassisted pull-up or something like that. And those things are wonderful. And at the same time, I think how we also zoom out and look at the big picture is very, very important because my goal is not to help people just engage in strength training for a blip and then be gone and think this is not something I want to keep doing. My goal is how do we help you do this for the rest of your life? Right. And that can be daunting because when you say to somebody, well, it's not just about the next six weeks, it's about the next 50 years, they get a little bit deer in headlights. But I think there's something very freeing in that, which is we have time. That's wonderful. But also how do we stay engaged? How do we stay consistent in the process? So maybe there are different ways that fitness shows up for you or strength shows up for you in whatever season of life that you're in. Can you, can you shift? Can you change tack? Can you continue to let that evolve for you. You know, I don't do competitive Olympic weightlifting anymore at the moment, but I still engage in strength training in a way that helps me be better at jujitsu, helps me be a better, you know, runner. And it's just, I love strength training. So I'm going to be in there doing my thing, but it's okay to shift and evolve. It's okay to let it look different in different seasons of your life. Maybe for some of you right now, you're not in that competitive building to a, an event season of your life. Mm-hmm. You're just in the kind of like maintain and do minimums <laughs> season of your life for whatever reason. And that's okay, right? That's okay. But it's like, how do you stay consistent to the idea to just the process of letting strength training be in your life and letting it serve whatever purpose it needs to serve for you at that time and letting yourself evolve. It's okay to change. If you're like, it ain't working for me anymore to do this particular gym or this class that I used to go to or whatever it happens to be. The great news is there's probably something out there for you. That's a great fit for you right now. You just have to give yourself the permission to evolve. Right. And Love it can that. be Thank there with you, so you the rest of your life if you let it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. Um, how can sure. people connect with you and, and learn more about what you offer? You can find me on my website, stephgodra.com. The social media channel I'm on most is Instagram. So I'm at Steph underscore Godro in my podcast, Fuel Your Strength. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'll make sure I tag all of those things in the show notes. It was wonderful to connect with you again. And I look forward to sharing this with other people. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Before you sign off, if this episode was helpful for you, I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review, and then share with your other strong friends. If you're looking for more podcast episodes or content on fitness, nutrition, sport performance, or if you just want to connect with me for coaching, you can head on over to my website, optimizestrength.co. Or follow me on Instagram at Anajanusam, PhD. I'd love to hear from this community. If there are topics you want to hear about or guests you'd like to hear from, drop me a note. Until next time, may your squats be strong and your lifts be big. Here's to going beyond the reps and getting to the strength in the details.